Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Lost Geeks Podcast. I am your host, the Doc. And I'm JT. And in this session, we're going to pack some bags and hit the open road. Because in this session, it's all about travel. That's right. The wide open road, or lack of in some cases, is just waiting for us. And we will. Oh, yes, we will answer the call. Rain or shine, we'll forge the way and embrace all the challenges that await us. And who knows, we may even come across some unique mounts and means of travel along the way. So let's not dilly to the dally any longer and get this a wagon a-moving. So let's kind of start off with just general travel discussion. We've had some debates about this in our group about <laughs> how long stuff should take and accurately calculating it oh i don't know i have mixed feelings about travel and i think it depends on also where you're at in the campaign <laughs> and what your kind of plans are what you should be doing at different points <laughs> in travel well it can also easily become i think a double-edged sword in a sense if you haven't kind of looked at your map and decided before the campaign starts the distance to varying places uh, especially where the players are going to be if you don't have those distances worked out uh, you, I, you can really take it two ways is how I see it you can take it where you plan everything out meticulously before the campaign begins and then you know how many miles it is to this city or to that location or you can just roll with it in the game but at that point you've got to take really good notes and remember what you've said or else you're gonna end <laughs> up in trouble I, with your players going why is it taking so long <laughs> I slightly will disagree with that only because in our group no one takes notes anyway so they don't tend to remember <laughs> or if you have a group that doesn't take notes yeah yeah i had i actually had read something earlier where people people were talking about those of us that write our own lore and stuff that there's gonna no matter how well you write it out there's always going to be lore that contradicts itself and someone said oh that's easy to fix you just say it's different history like record keepers like writing it differently that's why there's inconsistencies and i'm like oh yes i'm definitely stealing that it's like oh that's just somebody else wrote that history sorry and i guess that kind of makes sense because even in our own world history of course being written by the victors eh, it's kind of interesting what has been left out of our history <laughs> well and just everything that's gone into the world there's been a lot of lost knowledge mm -hmm. so the players aren't gonna have access to all of that but if you are working within if there's going to be a lot of travel back and forth and one trip it takes them a day and then another time it takes them two days and there was nothing that caused that delay probably good to have a reason why and i i will say myself i do tend to bs the travel times a little bit um, not completely it just I'd, I've never made it a huge focus of mine. And I, part of that's just because I don't spend my prep time messing with it too much. But I do kind of have a general idea. When I'll look at the map ahead of time and, okay, this is probably how long it's going to take roughly. I should probably be better about it, but I'm not. <laughs> the group's going to start calling me out on it next year. But like, <laughs> now that I, after they've listened to this episode, they're like, wait a second here. And I'm like, just be quiet. If you want me to throw in a bunch of <laughs> random stuff, I will. But 
Yeah. And a little later in the podcast, we'll get into travel time and I have some easy ways, just real easy ways you can get those travel times checked off. You've been holding out on me again, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm telling you now. (laughs) (laughs) No holdouts. But I, I really haven't had to do it because we don't have a lot of our maps made out yet. So when we first started the campaign, I had the distance stuff a lot more calculated because I did have a world map that the group could go back to and look at. And so I wanted, and I was in the beginning getting a lot of questions. Well, do we know how long it's going to take us to get here to this city? And so there were a lot of questions like that. And luckily I did have the times down and all that because I did have a postal service system there. So I had to know how long it would take for the travel. And I'm thankful I had all that set up because I think there was one point particular where the times got pretty important for travel. Kind of the second half of the campaign, I really haven't had a full on map that the groups had to pay attention to. So I've gotten a little more relaxed on travel time and just how exact it is and your methods of travel have changed so <laughs> you will that's made it a lot easier when you're flying around in a spaceship <laughs> yeah although people still ask for coordinates that you have not mapped out because you don't have the entire globe and all the coordinates <laughs> written <laughs> written on the globe so when someone's like can i have the exact coordinates <laughs> and then you give a number and they're like you just made those up well yeah of course i just made those up <laughs> what do you know yeah well so with travel time though you, there are some things you can do that will make it a little more interesting one thing i kind of wanted to bring up and i have done this before is random encounters and the reason I have, there are several reasons to do this, and maybe you can kind of add to this is, one, if the group is resting and rolls very poorly, that's typically sometimes an indication, okay, they're going to be attacked by a group of wolves or goblins or something like that. But another reason is if you're trying to buy time, <laughs> and there's various reasons you might be trying to buy time. One is if the group is going a different direction than what you thought they were, and you need to do some time to prepare and I typically always have these random encounters prepared ahead of time. I don't, it sometimes is sessions later I use them, but I always have varying little side stuff prepared for the group in case I need it. But buying time is one of them. And another thing, this is the only time I've used it before, is there was somebody missing from the group and the stuff that was coming down the road was a little bit bigger. And I wanted that other person there for it. So I threw something to delay that until that person arrived (laughs) it was you actually i think there was a session i think it was i think you were was there one you were running late to or was it the one you missed maybe i just put it in to eat up some of the time in there i can't remember for sure but which i I think it was you yeah i think it was probably the one that i missed oh it was where i i trapped the group in a i basically i had read about this somewhere online there was a room that had a button in the middle and I think this would have worked better in person, I will say, but basically the group went in and the walls sealed up all the way around and the room started shrinking and there was just this button in the middle and they could basically, they could push the button and it would like reset the walls, but there was like a 10 second like countdown every time and the walls were indestructible and they're pretty much just stuck in there with these walls closing in on them. So 
And I think if you're doing it in person, it's a little better because you can be counting while they're talking. So they have to keep remembering to hit the button <laughs> as the walls are closing. <laughs> the group figured it out a little quicker than I was hoping them to. I believe the answer, you just pretty much <laughs> let the time run out. Eventually, it just opens up the whole thing. But it's kind of funny in the moment because the group's like, it, they were trying to, you know, let's bust through these walls. Can we do this? Can we do this? Like, yeah, roll for it. And just nothing works <laughs> no matter what they roll. And eventually it's like, it, and then it's like at the end of the whole thing, they just like, when you just let them, they have to like, well, we just have to let the number count down. And it's like, I think I did get them to burn a good half an hour in there, but I, I did use that one one time to buy a little time. Um, Cause there was some stuff I, I wanted to make sure we got to later. So you can use it for that. I also like to use random encounters for combat practice. Oh yeah. That's a good one too. And warm the group especially up. if, you're working with a lot of new players, getting them used to their classes, get used to their classes working together in combat scenarios. So when they do face those harder challenges or the big bads, they're not going in fresh and everyone's kind of doing their own thing. They can at least have some cohesion and be working together and understand what role everybody's going to be taking in the fight. And so that's another reason just for having those random encounters in and it keeps the party on their toes. It's, you know, they never know what quite what they're going to run into. And I would say you, you do have to be a little careful with the random encounters. Definitely make sure it's logical. It fits the environment and the setting that the players are currently in. It makes sense. Even if it doesn't make sense, I think in my campaign, I had some pretty wild things happen, but there was this overwhelming force kind of, taking swallowing the planet and so it was pushing all of these entities that normally wouldn't be there into more uh human and civilized pop civilization areas and that was part of the reason i could throw some kind of wild monsters at the party with it making sense mm -hmm. and and I think the party question, and I, I just rolled that into the gameplay. So I had them roll intelligence checks, survival checks, and basically their characters were able to come up with, well, because of what's happening, it's probably pushing these things, you know, more towards areas they don't, normally wouldn't be. And if the group hasn't played in a while, a warm-up <laughs> can sometimes be good too, so they're not getting thrown into a big combat. Yeah, something to you know, familiarize themselves with their class, their skills, spells, abilities, just so they're, you're not throwing them into a life or death fight right at the beginning. You can also use it to progress a side story too, I guess, if you wanted to. I don't think I've done this too much, but just my campaign's been somewhat linear right now, so I haven't had a lot of stuff for side stories. I guess I will take it wasn't really a travel issue you guys did go kind of stop those bandits that had been harassing the town that was kind of a side what i considered a side quest but it didn't really i don't know it didn't really have anything to do with travel time i guess but well these are things i think you could all work into something that could happen along travel and the encounter doesn't always have to be uh, an enemy that has to yeah. be fought it, it could be just an obstacle of nature that the party has to get through <laughs> a bridge over a mile long <laughs> river <laughs> uh, i don't uh, have we told that story before i don't think we i think we've referenced it i i'm not sure if we've actually gone into detail i would like if you don't mind i'll tell it from the player perspective because <laughs> it was an interesting session and 
I think there was a lot of mixed feelings after the session about it. And I think there was some frustration from some of us as well. So we came to a large river and there was like a beat up bridge over it that we were going to have to like try to repair to get across because it was basically we couldn't swim across it. And so it came about that in order to repair this bridge, my character, who, if you recall, is a big, a huge, giant, hulking turtle, basically, was getting in this frigid water. And we were tying, like, kind of the wood together to make, like, rebuild the bridge, make <laughs> kind of in a makeshift, haphazard way. And it was taking a long, long time to do, kind of. Not, not really in-game it was taking a long time. It wasn't really taking that long out of game. But eventually night came and we had built, I don't know, I could say rebuilt a third of this bridge. But one of our characters had made a, fallen into one of your traps, basically. And it was, she got pulled into the water and started getting washed downstream. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we got to resolve this situation. (laughs) This is where the story gets kind of silly. So one of the player's solutions to resolve that is to jump in after her. And now they're going downstream. And did a third one, what, what was the third one jumped in or he got, fi- he got fished out first, right? Or three he, of them. No, he tried to, so the one just went and jumped in. Another one went and then tried to cover the surface of the river with ice and then jumped on the ice and then wanted to jump on the ice and float down the river, failed the deck save. So they slipped off the ice and fell into the river as well. And someone was able to get the first person out, I believe. Not the very first person that filmed, but the second one who had just jumped in. They were pulled out somehow, but then they're like, and I'm jumping right back in. I remember that line. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> why are you just jumping back in? We just pulled you out. And it it turned into like a four hour. I don't know. I don't even know how it lasted that long, but that was the entire session was us trying to get them out. Yeah. And I, I think it was that. one of those sessions I I was a little frustrated with. And this is just kind of on me as a player, because I was wanting to like get to the next thing we were wanting to do. Cause we were on a hot trail of getting ready to get hit some action. And all of a sudden now it's like we're spending a whole session fishing them out of the river. And I remember it was kind of funny because I wasn't involved in any of this. And they were all <laughs> out there trying to like save themselves. And I remember just being like on the shore and I asked you a couple of times, I'm like, is there really anything I can do here? They're like half mile in the middle of the river (laughs) like uh, getting swept downstream like no i think eventually i ended up just swimming out there and getting them (laughs) but i i think that was just you being merciful to them after like three hours of us fishing them out of there (sighs) one of them remembered that they had uh, basically a fade fade teleportability and so they could use that to kind of jump themselves (laughs) around the river And yeah, it took the whole session, but finally they were able to get back and you had gone quite a ways down the river. And so once you had gotten out, everyone had to walk back up. And I think there was like one or two people that had stayed behind and (laughs) met up with. I I think that group actually just decided to rest when they got to shore. And then the next morning they walked back to where the bridge was at. Yeah, because we had the kind of half naked around the campfire scene drying out then. I think after that, that was kind of a, I don't know, it's a trademark fantasy, I guess, saying the group getting in trouble and having to air and dry out and stuff. So, 
It was fun. And in hindsight, I look at it a lot differently. But in the moment, I remember we were on the cusp of something big, you know, a big battle coming in instead of getting to play. And also to note, back then we were having a hard time getting sessions scheduled too. So it would sometimes be a month before we got to play again. And I remember just, it, it was kind of like, we wanted to get as much done as possible every time because it's like, you didn't know when we were going to play again. <laughs> that That's an, a really good example of just having the environment kind of be an encounter in and of itself and i think that's fine uh to put in and i think it was also maddening because i think i had some dark elves on the other side yeah that were taunting us yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i know for your character he's like i gotta get over there (laughs) yeah it was it was a frustrating session in the moment and i like i said i just I really, if we'd been playing the next week, it would have been fine. But it's like, I want to get to the meat and potatoes here, not the side dishes. But that was just me. So, it, 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 but now I look back and realize it was still a fun session. It was just, <laughs> it wasn't the session that was planned, probably. But, <laughs> and I, I would say that also worked as kind of a player uh, character's arc progression because the character that had originally fallen in was the primary antagonist that had lured her into this trap Mm -hmm. and so it was working in a player's backstory and their arc into a challenge that the party was trying to overcome so not only did they have this you know, product of the environment they were in, but now they've also had the antagonist adding on to that to try and slow them down. Well, and so you kind of, that was the other two things we want to get into. You can progress the main story, even if it, in a minor way where you're adding kind of another, she's a thorn in our side again, and it keeps adding to the irritation she's causing the group. But then you also had a player character progressing their story with something as well. Yeah. And it's, it can work really well when you add those elements. And I think this was a really big highlight of the campaign early on was building up this enemy for the group where I would have her over time doing these small little pokes at the group that were, it wasn't, I mean, some of them were potentially, yes, very life-threatening, but at other times they were also just the annoyances just building up over time and you could tell the players were just getting more and more agitated. So as a DM, it's like, yes, by the time that the party actually faces this enemy in battle, I want them to just hate this bad guy. And I've done similar, and we've discussed some of these stories as well. And mine is, that's Papagano's family, our dark elf monk burglar His family's been kind of hassling you, in particular his sister. And so they were the group that I had kind of basically ambush you when you were on the road traveling and i did use it to progress one of my main stories and of course his story as well of introducing more of his family so and that that was actually when if you recall our my one pc died (laughs) that wasn't supposed to that was that same fight so it, it did have a big mark on the story and the group's trying to possibly figure out a way to resurrect him now so and that was kind of a surprise part of the story but Yeah, well, and I think these are just good examples because I think uh, the sister who attacked us, we were on a boat sailing and sent a giant rock after us and sank our boat. Yeah, that was a big problem. It was a random encounter, yes, but it's something that progressed a player's story. It progressed the story at the time. And it was all of us were 
<laughs> vital. It was it was really kind of a a screw you to all of us by destroying the boat. Mm-hmm. And, and so we all at that point took it very personally. And so you can see just threading in these little story arcs, even if it's just involves one player, when you're in a limited, you know, space like that, you're just in the middle of an ocean on a boat, there's, you know, a player just can't walk up and run away. I mean, yeah, maybe if you're a wizard or something at higher level, you could just be like, I'm out, teleport away. But, you know, being low level, you don't have any way out. And Mm -hmm. so now something that was really only one player's beef is now everybody's. And this is another, I guess the encounters don't always have to be story driven, but they can be, I guess you can kind of mix it up. (laughs) And I, I would suggest, I said this earlier, but depending on where you're at in the campaign, at the point where we're at in my campaign and definitely probably yours, I'm probably not going to throw a random wolf battle in at this point. I just, I'm probably not going to, unless the group were to roll like really terribly while they were resting. But I just early on in the campaign, like you said, it can help develop some kind of chemistry and stuff like that. But I probably towards the end of the campaign, you're not going to probably throw in just some random fight just for the sake of it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if there was some, fight you hadn't gotten to that you really like oh i really want to throw some trolls at the group just just for fun i guess you could do that i guess and i don't think the group would really mind it especially you know if they're level 20 they're gonna just mop the floor with the trolls so they might enjoy it but <laughs> that was like the pirates you kind of threw at us that one time I, I don't necessarily know that that was meant as like a just a random encounter but it was kind of fun for us because we just went in there and just <laughs> beat the crap out of them pretty much. Well, and I think you want a good mix of random encounters because even at higher levels, if a party's walking through, you know, a remote part of the world through a cavernous area, and maybe there just happens to be giants living there that mm-hmm. you stumble across. And now the party's got to just figure out how to deal with that. And I guess so- I should take back a little of what I said it's not so much you can't have a random encounter but just make sure it's at least a little challenging for the group maybe (laughs) a pack of wolves at level 20 might be yeah (laughs) I mean you can do that too I guess but it just I mean it would be over very quickly I would (laughs) well Well, yeah you can make them werewolves maybe (laughs) that would be more interesting well and I think you have to be careful of making every fight deadly along oh yeah and I think we've discussed that before too but yeah because otherwise the group just you don't have that big shining moment when they do finally get to the big boss it's like well we've already been you know fight it's good to get their confidence up a little bit i feel and then throw them in a situation where things that they that were normally working for them aren't working any longer and they have to start thinking outside of just how they normally approached fights. Cause in those early fights, you can get away with a lot more, the, those easier ones. Uh, and then, and I think this is a problem. And, and I know the group has complained several times to me is like, well, nothing I do works. It's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're fighting someone who's also trained their entire life and has, accumulated a good amount of power and they're not here on accident they're here on purpose 
Well, and that's, yeah. <laughs> I Because I've seen that, too, with some magical items. And Matt Papagano actually will speak of him. He has a staff of that kind of has a stun attack. And I think he likes it, and it works pretty well. But I ran into the same problem. And I remember being a little frustrated myself with this with, with my hammer, is it has that stun ability, but the save is not incredibly high. So trying to stun like a boss character, it just, it doesn't typically work. I'm not saying you won't get lucky if they roll really bad, but you're not going to stun them every time you hit them. And that's just kind of attributing it to the fact that you're fighting a big bad, <laughs> you know, one of the bigger bad guys of the campaign. Yeah. Someone else who's skilled that's, they've been around the block, you know, they, they know what you're at least going to throw at them or be able to be resistant to a lot of what your standard stuff is. And that's where the group really has to start working together in order to get the upper hand. And I guess getting back into travel here, um, it, it's also a good time of introducing unique characters that you might have ideas for and you're not sure where to throw them in. So just having a random seed farmer that, that <laughs> I was going to bring for, him up yeah. <laughs> asks for uh, very interesting donations. <laughs> yes. In exchange uh, can, can happen. Yeah. In exchange for some magic seeds that you plant that grow either items or potions. Very fascinating stuff. And so if you've got just an interesting character that, you know, and maybe it's the only time the group runs across them, but if the group likes the character, you could throw them in at another point during the campaign. And that could be a fun thing for the group. Like, oh, we remember this person. (laughs) And the... Yeah, do you want to see us again? We could throw, I could throw them back in. I think they went over well, but I just, I don't know if I can do another session of the pigs. So, yeah, that might, that might be hard. But yeah, it is a good, you can also test the water with PCs just to see how the group does with them and see if they want to, if they're worth throwing in again or if the group doesn't really take a shine to them. So, and, and then I think something we've, kind of been covering is this is a really good time to build that player chemistry and that's obviously the most important thing especially during the rests and long rests Mm -hmm. i mean what are you doing during this rest are there any conversation i think you always ask this is there any conversations anyone's having which sometimes it's like no i'm gonna drink and go to sleep eat drink and go to sleep other times there might be a little dialogue but and this is where really I feel the players have to step out of their shell a little bit and be engaging because it's moments like these where the DM is kind of handing over the reins to you to allow your characters to grow for you to expand on your character to introduce an aspect of them that maybe the group's not familiar with. And that can be really fun. That can spark a conversation. It could spark an argument. (laughs) either way it's a way of building up that chemistry and as a dm it can be difficult to facilitate that to get that going other than i guess just asking like hey you've got this going you know you're thinking about this right now you know is there anything you want to say or do about that and if the player's just like no i'm just gonna be keep to myself and go to bed i mean then outside of the discussion of who's taking watch that's pretty much where the role play ends Mm -hmm. and so as a player you really need to be think you need to be in character and thinking is there anything 
my character would want to say to someone reflecting on the past journey or past experiences I've had. Is there anything I want to say or someone that my character would probably like to hang out with and strike up a conversation in hopes of developing a friendship. So there's a lot of different angles that you can take. It just, it takes a little work, I think, to be in character and know what your character is looking for. And I've, I don't know, I, that's how, when I try to share my character's backstories during those rest times. And I think it, I, I sometimes think we lose a little bit of that being, on the, like doing this on the computer as opposed to in person i always had wondered if the rest sessions there would be a little bit more dialogue going on if we were in person and i think you always get a little more dialogue in person and i think just online it's hard because it's easily it's easy to be distracted by the things around you especially you know we're not on camera so you know your phone obviously we're on a computer so you could have another window up for any number of things family members pets kids whatever it may be you're you're gonna have distractions that you wouldn't if you were all sitting around the table mm-hmm. and, and i think that's unfortunate yeah. but it's just it, it's just the nature of that but rule 20 and is better than nothing though <laughs> yes and i think we've had this discussion several times where it, it is frustrating because you as a DM, we do want that chemistry. We want the discussions to happen. But as we've pointed out, I mean, obviously I'm playing in your campaign, you're playing in mine. And it's like, we are doing what we can to role play, but it's like, we don't want to be too dominating either. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, it's like, okay, I've just had a bunch of dialogue. I try to do and say a bunch of things and you'll present another opportunity and I'll be sitting there like, I guess I could jump into this, but I don't, I don't know if my character really would. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do I jump in just to keep the role playing going or do I stay quiet and hope that someone else will jump in? And so I know we've had conversations about how frustrating that can be. And I think it's just, especially with a new group, everyone getting comfortable, which I think our group, has been i think we've all been getting much more comfortable with each other and i'm starting to see that role play come out i've had uh i think uh, very recently i had a writer uh actually engage in conversation with me so he started that role play session and that was a big surprise and (laughs) honestly caught me a little off guard and i had to play a little bit of catch up (laughs) Yeah, it's still, it is good when you get that. And that's why those rests can, <laughs> we can do a whole session on rests, I guess, an episode on rests, but we'll save that for later because I think most of that we'll be able to cover here. But yeah, just use it for that. Or, and we talked about professions recently. You could always go off and gather this, or I think a lot of us, we use it for, I always like to do some training or meditating when we're doing that or, and drinking, of course, with my character. But well, and most of the time, unless you're going from, town to town you're gonna be resting in the wild Mm -hmm. so here's a there's kind of three main elements i see in kind of this travel is care so feeding water bathing Mm -hmm. uh gear upkeep mortis doesn't bathe usually (laughs) typically speaking but though these are all like 
role-playing opportunities. So if you're stuck on kind of, well, what would my character be doing? Well, you're on the road, so you're going to be sleeping outdoors. You know, what are you doing for food and water? Or is your character concerned with bathing or not? Uh, do they need to work on their gear or professions? Um, and then there's protection, protection from elements. So is it really hot? Is it really cold? What are you doing to protect yourself to get a good night's sleep through those elements? N- not including just random beasts or bandits that might be lurking in the dark waiting for the right opportunity. And then the third one, navigation. Uh, are you going the right direction? Are you on track? <laughs> Depends <laughs> on who's leading the way, I guess. But <laughs> Well, and that's a role-playing discussion. If you've been going in loops and your party decides to take long rest, and <laughs> that might be a good point of contention to bring up with the person that's been leading. Like, hey, it seems like we've been going in circles. What's going on? <laughs> that has happened before, although that was a kind of a crazy swamp forest that we kept getting lost in kept winding then there was that magical bar that we kept winding back up at i remember the <laughs> there was like a dwarf door key. so the bar was magical it looked abandoned from the outside but there was a magical enchantment where i believe they could when the door opened you could go into this bar that was in a different i, I don't know exactly the magic behind it but i assume the inside is in a different space or dimension of some sort right Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you, I remember we had kind of came there and we'd gotten the dwarf to answer. I always kind of, when I'm thinking about it, I picture the scene from like Wizard of Oz where the guy is like <laughs> opening the slider and like looking through. <laughs> that and, was very much what was happening. Yeah. Yes. And so we had finally gotten in, we had our thing there and we had left and we wandered around and we came back to it. I remember we came back and the guy's like, because, well, we'd gotten kicked out of the there because our paladin had killed some witches in the middle of the the bar or his sword did i guess depending on how you eh, see things but we basically <laughs> got been asked to leave and then we kept winding up back there and the poor dwarf is like you guys again <laughs> so yeah and then that navigation and then you know who's keeping watch who's going to trade off whose perception is going to be best throughout the evening and uh Elements can be difficult because if you're not prepared, you can take levels of exhaustion if we're talking D&D. Yeah, are you being fed and or is someone really stinky? So I think looking at those elements and deciding what would be my role, I think uh, Nithis with his background could find fresh water and food if you were in a natural setting. And so I think that had helped the group out a lot is he was always able to find fresh water and enough food for the group. And he navigated pretty well too, because he was more of a mm-hmm. ranger type. So he was always able to kind of guide us through those. And my character can sniff out beer from a mile away, but I mean, that's a, and he, that's why we kept heading back to that tavern i must have been leading the way for part of that i think we actually did all take turns leading there because he was like i don't know if it was rolling poorly or it just it's just the way it was kind of designed but we kept winding up back there it's like all right that's it i'm taking i think i did take the reins there for a while and i think we winded right back up at the bar <laughs> so, so yeah there's a lot of different yep. things you can use it with but but yeah and i think this overall there's so much story to be had during travel 
and working that into whatever the group is doing can just empower your campaign to another level Mm -hmm. and it it get it makes it so there's a lot more depth and the players don't feel like they're just randomly going from place to place that there's a purpose and even though there may be just some random encounters with some wolves or goblins or whatever the creature may be there are also going to be encounters that could be helpful or lead the party down a path that they didn't expect Mm -hmm. and as a dm you have to decide how you want how many paths you want branched off you know do you want something that's going to tempt the group to go off the beaten path to go chase maybe a, a mythed weapon or piece of armor and so maybe it's a time thing maybe they're going to this other city to to do something and they need to be on time but they come across an old beggar who tells them oh there's this dagger of many daggers hidden in this forest <laughs> And the group has to decide whether or not they feel they can go down that path and pick up this really nice weapon and be able to do it in time to go back to their main objective. And so that could be a fun thing for the DM, just not to save time if you don't have those encounters ready, but also just kind of throw in some choices they have to make you know do they want to pursue something that if they get it yes it could help them or it could be nothing (laughs) and so you could waste time or (laughs) you go there and you get it but now you're you've missed out on something else but if we get into like the travel time part of it i guess i want to talk about mounts with that as well you can always add mounts in. It allows the group to get from place to place a little quicker, but that doesn't mean you can't still throw in these random elements at them as well, but be careful with the mounts. <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's probably be a good time to get into the actual travel time. And so if you are someone who's taken the time to go over your map and you've calculated the distance of everything, that's great. Uh, Sometimes if you were working with a grid, you can have a grid be five miles, 10 miles, one mile, however big you want your, the scale of your map to be, that's really falls on the DM to decide, but then you have to do calculate all that time in. And so just a quick shout out here to a website uh, called calculator soup is a really good website for calculations and the one that i really like to use is the speed distance time calculator so if we take for example the group on a riding horse so in dnd fifth edition a riding horse within a round and everyone let, let and for those who may not be familiar a round in dnd is six seconds So in six seconds, a riding horse can travel 60 feet or one round. So if we break that down, uh, they can go 10 feet per second. And so I went on the site, I put in the math and lo and behold, it came out to in, in a six second round, 
a riding horse moving at that speed can travel 59.84. So they've obviously rounded up to an even 60 in one round. So uh, 60 feet at six seconds comes out to about 6.8 miles per hour. So if you're looking at a travel day of eight hours, that you just plug your numbers in and it would come out 54.4 miles. Uh, someone would be able to travel on a riding horse in in that amount of time. And obviously you can change the time to four hours, six hours, two hours, however long the party's going to travel for. But you can really quickly calculate that time and know fairly precisely where they'd be on the map. And it would, it's just, it's a really quick way to anyone, if you have anyone in your group who's going to sit there and call you out on your distance and your math that you're, you're doing, this would be a really quick way of be of being able to just show them like, no, you traveled at this speed and this many hours. So you, this is about how far you've gotten. Well, and I guess it does it let you put in different mount speeds. Basically, you would have to calculate whatever the specific mount was and you'd plug that you plug the number in. Right. Yeah. So you Basically. can calculate for. Yeah, you can calculate for speed. You can calculate for distance and you can calculate for time all on this one calculator. And so you can get any of these numbers. And so I was just going off of what the D&D book has for a riding horse, which is 60 feet uh, per round of movement. And then obviously, if you're uh, using your action to double move, that jumps to 120 feet. So that jumps their speed up from 6.8 miles per hour to 13.64 miles per hour. And you'd be able to travel about 109 miles in eight hours. But duck boats. (laughs) But you've got to count. Usually if you're doing that, you're going to take exhaustion because that's basically you're you're running. (laughs) The horses are running that entire time. Well, what about when Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli ran for like a how, what was the distance in Lord of the Rings? Remember they're chasing the hobbits and the orcs, and they're just like sprinting for like days on end. It's like eh, maybe. So I actually did walking a just basic walking speed. So for just your walking speed, so just most NPC characters have a walking speed of thirty feet per round or five feet per second. And I did the math on that and that comes out right at 30 feet. So 30 and moving 30 feet in one round is about 3.4 miles per hour. In eight hours, someone would be able to walk about 27 miles. Hmm. And if you doubled that, if they were running, so you were looking at uh, 60 feet, per six seconds they'd be running at about 6.8 miles per hour so about the equivalent of the horse's walk speed and so that would be the 54 miles now i don't know how accurate that is to a realistic setting (laughs) obviously you should go outside and test that out tomorrow and just run and see how tired you are if you're running at that speed go run for eight hours and see how many miles i can get yeah that would be a great idea for you to do tomorrow (laughs) 
<laughs> you'll be you'll just be uh, dead it's like sorry yeah. jt is no longer hosting <laughs> so yes if you could run eight hours at 6.8 miles per hour you travel 54 m- miles in a in an eight hour period but that's if, you're if dwarf, you could run a dwarf sprinter <laughs> <laughs> and so you you obviously can play with those numbers and decide if that's realistic for you or not obviously running for that long that you're probably not going to give the party that and obviously they're going to be taking some heavy exhaustion in order to do that but if they needed to cover a lot of ground quickly it could be an option if they felt the time saved would give them time to rest yeah but that's a really good example of just it's really easy to go in and you can do it really quickly for any character any monster any mount they they even have it for boats they have the miles per hour for all the different types of boats you can have in dnd and anything honestly is a google search away Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you can get really quick you can get accurate results that most people at the table will accept yeah and we've calculated that up because you and i you did it in this year of your game where you gave us kind of the ship although i believe the ship kind of had predestined coordinates to some extent so we weren't able to just fly it all over the place and i'm doing something similar next year in my campaign where i've given the group some uh, it's i won't i i think i told them already didn't i at the end of the last session we played and maybe not i shouldn't they're getting a vehicle that's going to make travel (laughs) quite a bit easier i think you did tell us but (laughs) okay yeah i i just can't remember i thought i don't know i know you have because we've looked at i was kind of picking out some designs and running them by you but uh if we'll we'll reward the ones who are listening if i had to you're going to get some duck boats just i wanted it to be water and ground capable they're a little kind of have a fantasy vibe to them but they're basically duck boats and we calculated i think up how fast they go and where the group would able to get to and i did put a limiting factor in and that's going to be the fuel so they're not going to be just that kind of limits them to some extent of how far the group can go in a day with them um i had various reasons for doing that it was more I'll, i'll have better feedback on this next year when we've been running this system for a while but I wanted to create a little bit more of an open world for the group to interact with and kind of give them a little more control of the story. So, and also allow for people to, if not everyone's there, the players that are there feel like they can still do something because they could potentially take one of these vehicles and go out and do something and still get back and not be on the road (laughs) while the other group is, you know, while players are missing and stuff. It would allow them to kind of get and do what they want to do and get back and not have the next session pop up and it's like well sorry they're you know a session worth of walking away and you're back in this town so sorry you can't play now so it'll just allow there's some there's various other reasons why i've done that as well but it is i'm hoping we'll see how next uh, year goes i might be like okay duck boats are blown up <laughs> the meteor <laughs> comes out of the sky and hits one of them sorry no, well and i think this is a good kind of segue into the mounts discussion and i do like what we've come up with them is basically uh they have to be powered by a spellcaster so basically a spellcaster puts a spell slot 
worth of magic into them and then they run for a set amount of time and so in order to be traveling with them spellcasters kind of have to be sacrificing those spell slots to power them and i think that's good because it's a trade-off of power and yeah and like i said it just it puts a little so i'd say if you're going to give the group odd mounts try to put some kind of a limiting factor on there (laughs) just yeah yeah well, you don't have to necessarily gets, use it, but it's just for your own sake. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, that comes into play, too, is what type of mount. Obviously, if someone's using mounts, well, are they traveling on a road? Mm-hmm. So if they're traveling on a road, obviously, that's going to be pretty quick, uh, as opposed to they're traveling through just wilderness, mm-hmm. as opposed to, oh, well, they're flying now, and they can just make direct lines to wherever they want to go. and so. That's where, as a DM, you've really got to be careful. And like I said, I had a postal service set up in uh, my starting town of Carecroft. And the postal carrier, he had uh, a roost of drakes. And they're they're not full-on dragons. They're called drakes. And they're kind of, you know, like you have your miniature ponies. They are like miniature dragons. <laughs> but they could carry like little sacks for packages and uh, postage. And so I had to calculate like direct lines to everything in the area and how long it would take them to deliver packages, fly back, rest, and be able to go out again to factor in the, their availability. Uh, yeah. Anybody out there that thinks DMs don't do much work. <laughs> yeah. That's only surface level of <laughs> the amount of work we put in. And I don't think I got to use it that much. No, I don't think you really did. The the group didn't use it much, but I used it because there were messages and things going back and forth between the towns. And I had to know how long those letters were going to go back and forth because that determined whether or not the group would get certain knowledge. And so just for me... Like as a DM, even though the players didn't go and interact with it, that's fine. It was, it still helped me add a realistic element. And this is what I really like. The more work I found I do, the more, I guess you can say, excuses I have for the thing, the way things happen. So it's not me just sitting there and saying, well, this is. This is the way it's happening. Because I'm the DM, that's why you can actually say, well, no, this is why it, yeah, there's a logical reason why (laughs) such events have happened. So even if the group used it and they sent a postage, well, now I know how long it's going to take to get to wherever they're sending it to and how long it's going to take for them to get a response back. And that kind of takes it out of my hands of being like, well, how long, (laughs) like just off the top of my head, well, how long are, you know, how well how far is he even to that city so you can see how you could get into a lot of trouble if you don't know some of the distances and the time it would take to travel and if you're just going to wing the numbers you got to make sure you write those numbers down and depending on the group if you have to come and fix it later be like i misspoke it would be more like this but i'm going to give you this one time i i think it's fine but i wouldn't make a habit of it so that's just an example of kind of the trouble you can get into and the benefits of just having that knowledge there because you never know when something's going to come up or your player that calls you out on everything is going (laughs) to 
<laughs> bring something up, but and um, they will that will happen it, probably I, not necessarily on travel time, but it'll happen on something. On something, you'll you'll get called out for it. <laughs> the length of your river, the mile long river, the mile wide river. That looked. That being said, I did look up afterward. They do exist, <laughs> so it's not completely unheard of. It just. In the game in that moment, it's like, what's with this ridiculously wide river? Anything else we want to go in with travel time or do we want to move on to? I think uh, just to finish up mounts really quick, something to keep in mind and and to remind the party of is the care and the upkeep and just keeping track of them. Because not every situation you go into is going to be conducive to their survival. And so you have to make a lot of hard decisions and it's why <laughs> the, you might see some memes or jokes out there about uh, mounts uh, like horses or just living mounts and the party just abandoning them and being expendable is because they, the party does get into some hairy situations. And unfortunately, a lot of the time the mounts don't are, are left behind. Or they just, they'll die so quickly because horses don't, you know, if you're fighting a pretty big challenge, the horses aren't going to stand up very well to <laughs> said challenge. And that We talked about that a little bit with pets the time before, kind of rolls into that. That's just unfortunately the way they're built in D&D and a lot of tabletops. But again, that's, it is also another element for role play that you can add in. Uh, I don't, there, there's plenty of movies out there between, <laughs> you know, a, a man and his horse, so. <laughs> and having that that relationship so i think working that into your role playing and having an attachment to a mount and can definitely bring up some drama especially if another party member wants to just abandon the mounts because you're going into a situation where you can't take them and so that could cause some <laughs> strife between the group so yeah i think that's about it just another element you can add in for traveling and role-playing into your storytelling okay so with that we'll get into tabletop tales of toxicity and terror um this one's pretty simple this week i just i I thought it was kind of good though because it kind of is going to drive home and we've had this experience ourselves so i think it'll be a good little story but I, I, like I said, I found this one kind of online, but it's very similar to one we've actually experienced. So my friends and I had long talked about playing Dungeons and Dragons, and we finally decided to give it a go. The game started off fairly standard. We made our characters and the DM kind of started. We were able to kind of get through the introduction part where the characters met in a bar, you know, the go-to <laughs> setting. <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely understandable for a first-time group. And everything was going fairly well until we got to the first combat. And basically what happened is the combat was taking so long that it was being like an hour and a half from turn to turn. And a lot of that time was spent with the DM looking through the rule book, trying to figure out the nuances of combat. Uh, The session ended up ending right after the first combat because, and everyone was left with kind of a sour taste in their mouth because of how long it took to get through the combat in particular because the dungeon master was spending most of the time reading through the handbook. Um, 
I have a couple things to say about this is that we kind of had this experience, except we didn't even start playing. We got very, very bogged down by the rules when we were in high school and we had 3.5. Um, I don't think they, which it was yeah. Pathfinder. Yeah. They said this was Pathfinder. So, uh, but I, I think that older Pathfinder rule set was probably similar to 3.5. Right. Well, and we, well, we had gotten a bunch of 3.5. Yeah. We had 3.5. Well. Yeah. And, yeah, well, and even the early Pathfinder. I think the early Pathfinder, they tried to streamline it a little more. They tried to make it a little more easy to get into than 3.5. But yeah, if you were struggling with 5th edition, 3.5 was just crazy. Yeah, and I like I said, I think they said this was Pathfinder. But either way, yeah, ours was 3.5. And I remember, like, like you said, the character creation wasn't that terrible, but it just the combat and I just, I couldn't even really figure out how to get us started. And it's very unfortunate that D and D is kind of like, this is, it's very daunting to start playing, but even playing one session, if you had a person who had DM before, I mean, it could just open up your eyes a lot to what can happen. And you don't have to get that bogged down by the rules early on the DM should have. And I don't know why he didn't do this, but he should have just, kind of let the combat flow a little quicker and then went back afterward and looked stuff up and not had worried so much about making sure everything was perfect that first time. Cause it's just better to get everybody playing. And then as a DM, you kind of learn like, okay, this worked, this didn't work. And just use that, use the gameplay as the learning experience rather than sit there trying to read a, a book. Well, because the other players are going to lose attention. If you, if you're going to sit there after every round, like, hold on a second, let me read through this. And, it's like trying to figure out every nuanced rule of a game that even advanced players don't know all the details of. There is always stuff that's <laughs> kind of falls in the gray area. Yeah, I've got one word for this story, and that's truth. The sad, sad truth of, of it. And even knowing the rules, you especially if you're running with a bunch of new players you are going it that those first sessions are going to be slow when it comes to combat and i remember when i first started mine uh we had a player who stopped playing because i think just everybody learning combat and learning their characters and classes and how long it was taking was a lot like i remember the turns taking forever and everyone just being like oh man combat just is taking forever <laughs> and, and i've I, and, complained about that to you early on as well and i think you would explain it combat always does take a long time and it does but this just felt and and it was everyone was learning myself included and it was just like wait what do i roll again what do i add to it again and it's like we would go through this time and time and time again and it did get it did get kind of tedious it, it's obviously much a much different story now <laughs> but yeah yeah but any new group even knowing the rules if if you're with a lot of new players all you can do my, my the best advice i can give you is just try to be as encouraging as you can as the dm yes you, you need to make sure you have a firm understanding of the rules and things that you are a little shady on have your cheat sheets there there's plenty of cheat sheet printouts that you can have to look things up really quick but you should have an overall knowledge but even with that just reinforce the group hey these first combat sessions may be a little bit as we're all learn as you're all learning the game trust me uh, if we keep playing on a regular basis 
we'll get through it and combat will get faster to an extent. But unfortunately, with how D&D is in a lot of tabletop games, there's always going to be a level of complexity to combat that Mm -hmm. can't be rushed. And as a player, the best thing you can do is just know your class, know your character, know your abilities and your spells. And when it's not your turn, be thinking about what you can do next or what you want to do next. And if you're not sure something's the DM is going to allow something, have a backup plan. Okay, if the DM doesn't let me do this, then I'm going to do B. And if B doesn't work out, I'm going to do C. There, there should never be a point where you're sitting there saying, well, I'm going to go on my phone and play this mobile game, or I'm going to go check my Facebook or pop on YouTube and distract someone else who's not in combat while we're waiting. That's the reason combat's taking so long is because when it comes back to your turn, you don't know what you're doing. So you're playing catch up and trying to figure out what you want to do. And so as a player, it's just very important to be on top of paying attention and knowing what you're going to do on your turn. Yeah, and the only thing I will, (laughs) this is, and it didn't specify this in the story, but one thing I will say is if you are planning on running a campaign of any sorts, you don't want to be the first time you've looked at the rule book when you're sitting down to play. (laughs) And it didn't specify that. (laughs) I would say, you know, I could just imagine, like, not having ever played before, and, like, if you're sitting down as the DM, like... Oh, and I kind of, and I can say that from experience. I think when we were trying to play in high school, I think that's kind of what had happened. Like we had got the books and we were kind of sitting down to playing and I may have glanced over them, but I just remember we were just so overwhelmed with it. And I don't, I think, I don't even think reading them on the side would have helped me in that situation. Cause it was just I, now I, it's funny. Cause now I could go back and see where I could have figured it out, but I just, and the internet wasn't as easily accessible back then where you had like message boards of people giving you encouraging advice of like, just play, it'll come, just play, you know, it'll come naturally. But that, that stuff wasn't really available then. So it, it was just, you had to kind of figure it out on your own or try to find somebody that played and in our small well, and there was, town, there was, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there was so much more math and there were a lot more modifiers and things that, would adjust your modifiers modifiers that you added to some things but not other things and yeah yeah, it was just you really had to know what you're doing and the only reason that I really got to play in 3.5 is because I got in a group with a DM who is very patient willing to accept new players and willing to take the time to make sure that we understood everything on our character sheets and I mean, honestly, that was session zero is building the characters and understanding what everything meant and where we were getting the modifiers from, why we were adding to it what we were or why we were subtracting, you know, um, something from an ability. So, I mean, yeah, opening up the book and looking at the rules is, yeah, that's negative 10. (laughs) I didn't specify that he had done that. He he probably had looked at it before, but I just I was laughing about that thing. Could you imagine just yeah opening up the book and never well, I mean, the rest I, session on the spot? It would be tough. That would be really tough. Well, I think back to our very first session with everybody learning. If I had been like looking everything up, oh my, we would never have gotten through that night. 
No, it would have, and then you would have lost people because they're like, well, I don't want to play in this. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was fine the first couple sessions. It just, I remember it was like we were getting on that verge where it's like combat could be faster, but it, we weren't quite there yet. I wish it had sped up a little bit more, but now, now, and this is why a separate thing. <laughs> yeah, and then, well, and this is why regular play is important, and this is why for those of you out there that may not know, it's very hard to get a tabletop team together because it is an investment of time i would say don't join a group unless they're just going to do casual one shots if you're not ready to put in the time because you do need to it really is a commitment (laughs) and that's something that i really try to stress to a lot of new players or if i'm going to be starting up a campaign the first thing i want to communicate to potential players is are you ready to make a commitment because i don't want to go in and start building this and start building out your character arc and adding things in for you and if you're not going to be making an effort to show up now obviously i caveat that with look life happens we all have things that come up that's perfectly understandable but if you're just "Eh, i don't feel like going tonight it just it doesn't cut it and we have had players not play in our campaign due to us saying that early on but i would rather just say that early on and have them not play than get a couple sessions in and then have to back out too because uh, there's been other people we've tried to add to the table a couple times that just the the time commitment was too much for them, which is understandable. But like I said, I'd personally rather have it just okay. You can't play; that's fine. Rather than <laughs> just have them never show up. So, well, and it's it's a commitment for players, but the and it's not to be like mean about it. It's not to sit there as a DM and sit here and be a grump grumpy individual oh, definitely about not, yeah. it every time. But you think from a player's perspective, it's a commitment. It's twice as much the commitment when you're the DM and you, and I I can't speak for every DM out there, but for me, I put a great deal of time into everybody's characters and I want to know their backstories and I want to implement things and I want them to have those big character moments and reveals within the campaign. And that takes a lot of work. And when I put so much work and I commit to you and your character for you not to show up that that does get a little frustrating because it's like, I I've done all this work and I, I want you to have that payout, but you, I, you need to have that commitment. And that's where a lot of campaigns, they talk about, you know, tabletops fizzling out. And that's part of the reason because a campaign, just people fizzle out over time because just life happens and they can't make that commitment when you know, they especially if it's a campaign that lasts a couple of years. I mean, things can change yeah. fastly because I mean, let's see, you've ran yours for three years. Yep. Yeah, yours has been running going for on three years. year four. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it will be wrapping up quickly in year four. Maybe I don't know. You can <laughs> we'll see. It, it'll be a couple months into year four, but I mean, four years is a mm-hmm. long time. I mean, you don't life can change a lot in four years, so it, it is kind of understandable that that happens sometimes. But at least I think we always try to renew things at the beginning of a new year, we try to wrap them up. And we have lost players sometimes at that mid year point, and other times we've kept everybody. And we'll see what happens this time around. I hope we keep everybody, but so yeah, and I think that's just. 
something you have to accept. <laughs> You'll have your people that stick out the whole time and other DM. ones that, yeah. Well, and I think for us, it's been a big learning experience as well. I've kind of taken this as a really big learning lesson. Like, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get upset about this. I'm just going to take it as, you know, I didn't know. And now I know. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, I'd probably take it as on a year to year basis to where, you know, look, commit to me for a year at the end of the year, we, you know, we can keep the same characters and keep rolling. And if someone wants to leave, they can leave if someone wants to go, but looking to wrap up that story at the end of the year and then move on to a new arc. And I think that's how I'm going to be doing things going forward too. Cause I think it's a little easier to get a year commitment out of somebody than it is a four year commitment. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So this is a good thing though. You won't have to run your side campaign for me of running Bordis's tavern because I picked up tavern master <laughs> on steam <laughs> and I highly recommend it. If you've ever had dreams of running a bar in a fantasy setting, it's a excellent game. It's very early development, I believe, but there's, and I, it's kind of interesting because I was reading through the suggestions on the steams page and he's actually the creators like responding to people and stuff and it's like oh you can tell this game's really <laughs> early access if the guy who's creating the game's like commenting back on people's suggestions yeah we'll see if that keeps up as uh the game gets more complex but yeah, yeah you were actually showing me a little bit of that and it does look like it has a lot of potential i could see it being a lot of fun Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed that rambling, please consider supporting our podcast. You can show your support for the Lost Geeks on Facebook and Discord. We anticipate your collective feedback and suggestions. We would like to offer our sincere thanks to Nomad. That's K-N-O dot M-A-D for providing his musical talents. You can discover him for yourself right here on Spotify. We hope you return for our next episode. And I do apologize for the cutoffs. If I don't stop them, then no one will. They are lost after all. Till next time, my lord.